Hello, everybody. Welcome to another podcast on Trek No Babble. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And this is Kelly. And we have gathered here on this node of the interweb to watch and discuss the Voyager episode Threshold, uh, season two classic, <laughs> if you will. Uh, I mean, it's something. That's for sure. It is definitely. Of all, the, of all it, the episodes of Star Trek, this is definitely one of them. <laughs> and one that stands out in my memory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As it should in anyone who's listening right now. And we will discuss what ways in which it does stand out. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's place in season two. I, I mean, it seems like maybe they're trying to branch out a little bit and do some more funky sci-fi concepts maybe um this is a brandon braga episode of course and god so, if ever there was one yeah <laughs> uh you know the, the kind of things that are talked about in memory alpha you know they say this is an episode where we wanted to break one of the fundamental rules you know and see what happened and <laughs> maybe that tells you why the rules were in place in the first place uh i i understand the impulse i understand i mean look ever since i was interested in physics you know, I've always wondered, you know, is there an infinite velocity? What if you broke the speed of light? You know, what kind of weird effects would that have on how you perceive time? Would you travel back in time? You know, so these kinds of questions are perfectly interesting. I guess maybe one cautionary note is that in a science fiction universe, the rules might be there so that you don't just veer into bizarro fantasy bullshit, you know? Yeah, um, I remember liking the idea. I, I like that um, they clarified what Warp 10 is, because they're clearly in both uh, the original series and a few episodes of Next Generation, there were, you know, like there was Warp 13. I think in all good things, Riker explicitly says, um, go Warp 13. Yeah, and then of course in um, the original series, I think they got into the 20s or something. Right, you know? so I'm, I'm that happy that... Animated series. If, if nothing else, I, I enjoy... And there's a scale that places infinite velocity at one end of the scale, like, like absolute zero at the bottom of a temperature scale. Like that's yeah. awesome. But there's a physical constant that theoretically we will never need to recalibrate the system. Great. Yeah. And so you, you appreciate world building, but it kind of raises the question why you would build a rule and then immediately break it upon codifying it. Um, which, yeah. Okay. Maybe we should just get started and, you know, Kelly has something well, so one funny story going into it is that when I watched every episode of Star Trek, obviously Matthew had seen them all before I had. We were watching them together. And he told me going in, this is one of the worst episodes of Star Trek. So I started to watch it, and for the first half, I was like, this really doesn't seem that bad. It's kind of a good episode. I don't know what he's talking about. Do I just have horrible taste? And then, of course, by the end of the episode, I understood. Yeah, yeah. other <laughs> episodes... There are rails here, and the <laughs> rails do get jumped. Yeah, I, I was going to say, because uh, other, like, epically bad episodes, like Code of Honor or Move Along Home, they they display it. Like, from the pretty much the teaser, you know, you yeah, know. Yeah, kind of know. It's, something's not right. Threshold is almost an achievement in that you're lulled into, like, this false sense of security. Like it's actually pretty. It reminded me of uh, the the, uh, the like a uh, new ground in uh, next gen. Like 
that that one kind of that wasn't a great episode, but it wasn't a terrible one. And it's like, okay, hey, a new form of propulsion. That's what we're here to do. It's a Star Trek idea. Great. And then there's the lizards. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy to dive into this, and we can we can discuss as we go. But don't I uh, I I haven't watched this one in a while, so I'm, this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting for me. Yeah. Well, here we go. Uh, get ready to engage, everybody. Uh, we're queued up, and I believe Kevin is queued up also. Indeed. And we will all engage in three, two, one. Press play. So one question I've always had, you know, one among thousands of questions I've always had about this episode, is how you can test something like this in a holodeck. You know, it's like you're asking the computer. It's kind of the same question I had with uh, Remember Me or something like that. You're asking the computer a question that's fundamentally beyond the computer's ability to comprehend. Yeah. You know? uh, I mean, I suppose the computer doesn't warn, you know, warning, you know, lizard de-evolution commencing, you know. <laughs> so at least there's that. But, I, you know, I just question being able to test even the physical parameters of something like this. I, I don't mind that as much. I think it'd be easier to run this test in a holodeck than the real world, as you can you can artificially program. I mean, a computer simulation is a computer simulation. You you define the parameters and and run your test. Yeah. So presumably they they programmed it, you know, to indicate the stresses that they thought would be theoretically uh, there. Right. Right. You know, and I I mean I like the idea that they're testing it. I like this kind of scene. You know. Yeah, it's the, fun that they're all working together on it. The jump cut to the two of them like slumped over the console, like they've clearly been at this for a while, was 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 well done. It's like yeah, and it's a nice short, brief teaser. You know, it's uh, it's teasing, it's interesting, um, you know, and conceptually, it makes sense that these three in particular will be working on something like this because, of course, they're stuck in the Delta Quadrant and they want to go much faster and. You know, okay. My my right. quibble about the holodeck has always been, can you walk into that console when you're on the holodeck? Because it oh it, is the console itself physically holodeck? part of the holodeck, or is it like Barkley when he just makes a like a console to suit his needs? Because it that stays there because there several episodes over the course of the series when like when Janeway's tweaking her sure, Irish sure. boyfriend, there's a and when Bolana's fiddling with her child, there's a console there, and I just wonder. Can I walk into it? Is it phys- is it a physical object? I get they don't want to do an arch again, but there's a reason the yeah. arch makes sense. Well, because it's on the wall. Yeah. I mean, I guess the reason you can't run into the wall is the same reason you wouldn't run into the console. You know, it just steers you away from it. Yeah. yeah. Somehow the the simulation steers you or pushes you or uh, again we've we've never had a perfect uh, kind of consistent explanation of whether it's like reality bubbles surrounding people like virtual reality that they can move and feel resistance within or if it's some sort of moving environment i guess dialogue supports the latter more than the former you know it's like there there are other subtle tricks is i believe what captain picard said Um, it was the forge talking to Pulaski. oh that was the forge yeah um you know and really the subtle tricks are writing tricks of course um so yeah, you know, three minutes in, this isn't so bad. <laughs> Who the hell is Raphael Sparge? That 
uh, there's a guest star named Raphael Sparge, and I want to know who that is. I'm trying to recall this scene, and I even without remembering this specific scene, we're about to have one of my most and simultaneously most and least favorite examples of scientific progress in any film or television, let alone Star Trek, where the non-scientist makes a casual observation that's like the, the the key to unlocking the whole thing it's like that's not actually how science works but it, it, it's just and i'm not saying that that's never happened but tv seems to lean on that as how it always happens and it just i don't know it annoys me yeah no i agree i mean i like the scene generally because they're using a place in the ship the way this place would be used right you know like it's it's a social gathering place where you you might bat around an engineer's assistant yeah so i mean he's he's well versed in warp theory and he used to be an engineer and this dialogue establishes nothing in the universe can go warp 10 it's a theoretical impossibility in principle if you were ever to reach warp 10 you'd be traveling at infinite velocity So that means very fast. <laughs> well, uh, this is actually my favorite piece of dialogue extracted from the episode. It's just great. Um, it, it's actually one of my favorite pieces of science fiction writing in the franchise. It's 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 such an eloquent way to express the concept without resorting to to cheap analogy. Like it, infinite velocity would mean you could you could go between any two points at once, and that functionally means the same thing as existing in all the points at once like that's great that that's like almost, it's like a calculus explanation of yeah. of this phenomenon so and it doesn't it's not dumbed down like as a kid that's a neat idea as an adult that's a neat idea so so far so good we have a great science fiction concept expressed in a really neat way well and i understand the whole you know neelix giving them some piece of information but it is a good way to get a bunch of information out to us all right at once, the, the to, exposition you know, is at least organic I, I i i get i agree that with that well and you know as far as your criticism which is well taken kevin it is you know the other people that are making the leaps here yeah you know, yeah yeah he, he sort of just sort of pushed them onto a different topic And he doesn't get what they're talking about. So. <laughs> and and Ethan Phillips, you know, whatever my other complaints about the Neelix character, it's never been that the actor doesn't commit. He, much like Armin Shimmerman, he's under 15 pounds of makeup and just ton of vivid facial expressions. And that's a good line. I have no idea what they just said. That was that was just a good line. Well, you know, he um, this video effect is interesting. Yeah. I think it's going to pull back. Yeah, yeah, because it it looks weird to me. Well, I mean, this is supposed to be recording. It's just interesting to me that the recording looks obviously degraded. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's a pretty neat pullback. I wonder uh, what kind of screen they're using back there. Because that's, that's clearly a practical effect. This table has always kind of mystified me. It's a little too thing. textured to be a real table. Like, could you could you eat on this table? Could you, like, well, you unroll a mat? you could play cards on it, that's yeah. for sure. It's good for meetings. You know, and in seven minutes, they've really, you know, moved the plot along pretty well. And, and as far as the, I, I mean, it, part of the setup is fine because 
because it's not like a, you know, is this does this alien visitor of the week have an ulterior motive? Hint, yes, he does. They always do. This doesn't feel like the same bait and switch as their other attempts to get home so far. Because, because obviously, you know they're not getting home. You know this ultimately won't work. But because the science fiction is so interesting so far, it doesn't feel like a Gilligan's Island moment yet. Well, okay. So I think we missed it in dialogue here. The reason that they could even consider trying this is that they found some kind of high-yield dilithium or something. Yeah. Which to me, you know, it, it just kind of raises questions that I don't like. You know, it's like, well, then why hasn't someone else figured this out already? I guess if it's that rare, that's something. My question is, and I, I guess I can say I, I could say this to the end, but it just popped in my brain again. Why not just go nine point nine 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 for as yeah. long as the I material allows? If you can allows. functionally reduce the time travel time to a week or a month, then no big deal. Right, because we assume the lizard effect doesn't happen for a while, and it, assuming it's an asymptotic scale that you know as you get closer and closer and closer to warp ten, you're going faster and faster and faster, never getting there even a slight step back from warp yeah. 10 should still be really fast. <laughs> Takes them five years. That's still, you know, quite a nice. Well, but if you don't have enough dilithium to. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, you know, this scene is a really good scene for the Tom Paris character, a really good scene. You know, we've got kind of, uh, the right stuff, sort of astronaut slash yeah. Chuck Yeager kind of, uh, stuff going on here. People want to be the guy to make the flight. Yeah. They want to be the one who breaks the barrier. And I love him trying to explain this to her and her, you know, she understands where he's coming from, yeah. but she has to be the captain. You know, she has to say, you know, it's not about you. Right. Uh, I, I like that. Um, How to put this? Uh, you know, obviously Tom Paris's arc is supposed to be one of redemption, and obviously this would be the the cherry on the Sunday of that act. Um, and I like that they acknowledge it. Um, that his need is ego based. It's not. You know, I'm glad they didn't rely on the trope of he's magically the best pilot. Yeah, I'm the best pilot. Yeah, it's it, like you're just going in a straight line, dude. <laughs> Well, and he said Harry's capable of doing this. Right. So it's not. So at least it's not that. Well, and so Tom is self-aware enough to to realize what this means for him emotionally. Right. And that. And, and then it feels like an intelli even an intelligent, not a reckless decision, because it is a you know pretty small risk. I'm sure I have more than a two percent chance of bad things happening when I leave the house in the morning. But um, I I like that. You know, in a way, it might even be. It's important for him to risk what he's earned because now now it's meaningful like it it's an acknowledgement that it's not like i think you know paris a year ago or two years ago would have done it without caring about the risk and now he 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 does care about it now because even that's an acknowledgement that he's built something do you think the fact that it's shuttlecraft cochran is too on the nose <laughs> it's a little on the nose 
So Michael Jonas is the guest star. Okay, that was an awesome shot. I will say that. Like in terms of effects, the shuttle leaving and jumping to warp and Voyager jumping behind just looked really cool. Yeah. So of course it looks exactly like the holodeck set too. Yeah. Well, it's isn't a, it's that the point. Sure. It's a neat look from this upper level on engineering. Yeah. Transwarp is a word that gets tossed around a little casually, I feel. Yeah, you know, okay. So do we have to discuss it? Maybe we should. You well, know, let's save transwarp... it for the Borg. <laughs> no, I mean, Transwarp was uh, introduced as a concept with Star Trek uh, Three. yes? Yeah, the Excelsior. With the Excelsior, the grand experiment. So are we to take it that this is what they thought they were doing? but then failed or that they thought they were just going to, I believe the dialogue was I'm going to blow enterprises speed records out of the water. Right. So maybe they were doing what you were talking about, just going much, much faster. Right. And calling that transport. All right. So Kevin, we need to pay close attention here because this was a key point that we were going to discuss later. Yeah. What happens to Tom during this test? No sign of the shuttle within five parsecs. Well, okay, isn't a better question, why didn't it occur to them that this was going to happen? Well, that they'd lose him, yeah. <laughs> well, he's like, simultaneously he existing in every point in the universe. Quantum surge, oh. Something is coming out of subspace. All right, so it's come out of whatever transwarp is, out of subspace, um, very close to the ship. He's holding that really close to his face. <laughs> I, I like this scene a lot. Yeah. Can you wake him? I don't see why not. <laughs> 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 I hope he wakes up less crappy than Teddy. Alright, I'm back. We tracked you until you crossed the threshold. You disappeared from our sensors. So he remembers. Oh, yeah. Why would he fall asleep? senses were just overloaded. I suddenly realized I was watching myself. I could see the outside of the shuttle. I could see Voyager. So to me, this indicates that consciousness is somehow also Preserved, altered. yeah. Were you okay. on Earth? Okay, I'll say, I think uh, he the as, as an acting job, trying to portray um the sensation of simultaneously existing in the entire universe. That's a tall job. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the words exist to accurately describe it. And he's doing his best. <laughs> yeah. I think he's communicating the ineffability of the experience. How did you get back to Voyager? 
Uh, okay, yeah, you're right, Kevin. I don't like this. I saw you were looking for me. I took the engines offline, and I ended up back where I started. Well, except it's not I... where he started, because he, he was traveling at, like, faster than the ship even prior to breaching the threshold. He had to choose to come back to wherever Voyager was, not merely the place where he entered Warp 10. Well, okay, so maybe there's no indication that he could really control it. He just turned it off, and for some reason, which we don't know, he came back to the point that he left. So let's just file that away for later yeah. um, and talk about it at the end of the episode. You know, so again, you know, I like... The whole ensemble is doing a good job here, you know, sort of treating him like he's a hero now, like Chuck Yeager or Neil Armstrong or something. So there are logs from the sensors of the shuttle. Every cubic centimeter in this sector. Wow, 5 billion gigaquads is a lot of information. A lot of data. So, doesn't this help them in the future? I mean, besides the fact that no one ever remembers this episode after it happened. Well, now, Seven of Nine made more detailed maps with something, but I don't think it was with this. Yeah, I think it was just her brain. Well, she she fixed the sensors and made them more acute, but I feel like they also used some sort of data source You know what would have been cool, and I'm just sitting here thinking about it, if this could have explained uh, the Iconians. That the Iconians had mastered Warp 10 and built uh, the obvious technology rather than a ship, but just uh, somehow to move you at that speed instantaneously anywhere you wanted to go. (laughs) I can tell. (laughs) That's a very funny acting job by Ethan Phillips. All right, 17 minutes and 56 seconds. <laughs> That's where we cross the threshold. <laughs> the rail jumping has begun. Oh, I mean, the way it's being acted here is pretty good. Yeah. But yeah. it was a good episode up until now. Yeah, yeah. it was. Like, you know, maybe not the greatest, but it was good. No, really, I could think of a dozen ways you could resolve the story from here that would make this a pretty darn good show. You know, I mean, from a plot perspective, Unless you want to fundamentally alter the Star Trek universe, which I'm sure they feel they can't do, um, you know, you know you have to find some way to take the football away, right? Yeah. Well, it could have just been as simple as like they couldn't really control it. That's exactly how I think it should have been resolved. You know, maybe Paris could come back to this point because the ship knew where it was, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it came from there. So it, it had the coordinates, but occupying every point in the universe would require knowing precisely the relationship between everything in the universe to choose the location that you would want to go. And so even if like 
you might just not have math that's good enough or computers that are sensitive enough or whatever to get within one galaxy of what your destination is supposed to be because the universe is incomprehensibly vast, if not infinite itself. And so infinite velocity within an infinite space would still be practically useless Yeah. because, you know, it, you'd have no frame of reference. Yeah, so you'd have to make sure you didn't end up in the middle of a star or something. Right. Yeah, well, presumably they have to do that with warp speed, too. But yeah. sure, a star 50 galaxies away would be even harder to predict its location. Um, and so, like, or you could say maybe it would take 10,000 years to map things well enough to know where you're going. You know, so however you want to play that. Yeah. And, you know... Now that we've looked at the dialogue, I, I don't think the dialogue is entirely inconsistent with that. And so it could have been salvaged. Some other way than this. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm gonna say it. You know, it would have been a f- awesome way to resolve this, to uh, what they could have introduced as a result of this. The traveler. Sure. Simultane like because if you think about it, if you simultaneously existed at every point in space, you could that would have to intersect time in some way like that would be cool if this was like i'm not sure how they could land it without the traveler basically showing up and being like well you're not ready so stop doing it but that could have have done that though that would that would have at least been intellectually more satisfying than what we do get yeah not still not entirely satisfying on its own but still better than what we got so so i think you know my theory which kelly has also seemed to hit on would make an interesting point about the universe you know, it would fit with the science fiction story. Um, apparently what Brandon Braga said he was going for here was that he felt that it was always a, a commonly held assumption that evolution was always proceeding in a direction of greater intelligence, complexity, you know, like towards the metrons, basically. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, again, I can kind of sort of wrap my mind around why this is an interesting idea. I wish it weren't melded to the threshold story. You know, like maybe there was some other thing that could have caused this and it could have been a completely separate story. I like actually that's a pretty good outfit on Kess. Yeah. She's been having some good outfits lately. Um I also just I guess we haven't actually gotten there yet, but um, I I get I was just annoyed by the fundamental like dictionary level misunderstanding of what evolution is and what it describes in terms of biology. Yeah. Yeah, we're not evolving toward like evolve in the biological sense does not mean evolve in the like philosophical sense where there is like a superior form of life that we are advancing to. It simply describes there's, there's the... no teleology in evolution. You know, we are. We were adapting to our environment. Right. And so there probably was dialogue that could fix that. You yeah. Know, like somehow this experience, uh, well, maybe there's not because I don't see how it could happen within one organism that's not reproducing. You know, like maybe it would make him infertile. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe it would screw up his kids. Um, I mean, the makeup job is fun and the acting is good and it's upsetting. Yeah, no. Like Robert there's... Duncan McDeal is doing yeoman's work here, uh, you know, with the acting. You can totally buy his sort of aphasic uh, <laughs> trip down memory lane. Yeah, I remember and being I... slightly scandalized by the use of the word virginity in a Star Trek episode. <laughs> yeah, 
and I, I like pepperoni. Well, actually, this episode won an Emmy for the makeup. The so. um, the like, what is? I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. The veins on his forehead look really jacked. Yeah. Well, and when they start like taking body parts off of him, <laughs> you know, it ends up looking okay. So I I like this concept that this can be an isolation bay with a force field. Yeah. And change the environment of it and stuff. You know, which totally makes sense given the fact that they would encounter alien life. Well, they've got holographic doctors, though. Yeah, and so he can enter and exit. It's, it's really pretty cool. So, yeah, like, I totally buy his emotional journey here. It's like, you wonder if even at this point the episode could have been salvaged, because we haven't been sort of given the story. Yeah, we're... we're it hasn't been explained yet. Yeah, the, the other sins, the, 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 the most major of the sins the episode commits have not happened yet. And we're getting the Star Trek trope of the, you know, resuscitation with brain thing. And so Paris is dead at 24 minutes. Did you ever think he was really dead? No. No. I never thought well, they see, were. There's another way to resolve it. You know, you just can't He's just do dead. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I never that thought. That would have been a real shame for the series. Yeah, I never sure, thought they but... were, like, Tasha yarring him out of existence or anything. Well, and. If he were to die, this would certainly be a better death than Tasha Yar's death. God, yes. We got a bittersweet summary of his life. Uh, well, and he did it. Yeah. He was a hero. Yeah. Did something no one did before, and he took the risk, and that was it. Couldn't they just make a new holographic, Tom? Well, we're going to get that episode. <laughs> Actually, we got that episode with Neelix's lungs, but we're also going to get that episode with... Denara Pell. Yeah. I like the doctor's ab like slightly awkward abortive attempt at, at sympathy. Well, he's not good at it, yeah. you know. It's a good thing Neelix isn't here. Yeah. Of course, he's dead, so shouldn't be a threat anymore. <laughs> You know, I was going to make a point about Neelix earlier in the, the mess hall. Uh, we really are past the rehabilitation of Neelix at this point, and yeah. I don't think we're really going to get any more bad scenes with him. He had good scenes with, with Kess during Cold Fire, um, you know, and he had good scenes with the rest of the ensemble. And so it's really nice that they've moved past that sort of unfortunate God, yes. character flaw. And uh, I gotta say, I wish we'd gotten more than just Kess's scene. I think a scene with Harry, with Bolana, with Janeway, registering his death would have been more interesting. Yeah, I um, agree with that. Th this Even if they'd just been present all in the same scene. Right, because this just uh, has a little... Um, <laughs> not that I ever want to invoke a discussion of the Abrams movies. The, the uh, instant death reversal does kind of cause a punch problem in terms of the you know like the impact is definitely deadened yeah i mean if you're going to have a character be dead temporarily you might as well mind that for you know the emotional stuff that you'll get out of the other characters as long as you don't do it too many times you seem to have an extra one okay so 
<laughs> Keep going with your critique of the evolution stuff, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, just no. Just that's not what evolution means. Well, so the way I see it, there are two problems with this portrayal of evolution. Keeping in mind, granting the fact that, you know, this is obviously a, a situation that has never occurred for any organism on Earth. Okay. So we're introducing the Michael Jonas thread. You know, he's, uh, you know, sort of sharing Voyager stuff. This is really just, you know, heavy lifting for later episodes. Which normally, I, I gotta say, I appreciated the attempt at an arc of a story um, in Voyager. Yeah. But this felt yeah. a little ham-fisted because it was just so out of nowhere. Well, I mean, he was he was in a scene. Maybe if he'd had a little more dialogue, you know, something yeah. like that. So his DNA is rewriting itself. To what end? I don't know. So the way I see it, there are two problems here. Um, you know, I, f I forget the terminology, but it's, it's often something that is uh, held up by creationists or intelligent design theorists as a possible explanation for variation in species in much, much, much less time than the fossil record indicates. Mm -hmm. And it's this notion that uh, an individual organism can rapidly change. Uh, do, do you know what I'm talking about, Kevin? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's a way that creationists try to get out of, you know, timing problems uh, with, you know, sort of long-term uh, evolution by sex selection. Um, so that, that's one problem with this portrayal. And the other problem is just the notion that he's not evolving with respect to an environment, you know. Uh, and that, that is... a I agree with you, Kevin, a fundamental misunderstanding of what evolution is. I mean, evolution, even if it could happen within one organism, it, he's on the ship, breathing oxygen, you know, like he, he's not undergoing any stresses that his organism wouldn't normally. Well, it's also, it's also the misunderstanding of evolution in, insofar as, uh, like, like, radiation doesn't make you a superhero, it gives you cancer. It's it doesn't just make the ant bigger. It should also like it's one of these like with all this happening, why didn't he just die? Like, yeah. Why would his why would his body simultaneously mutate in a way that left him a breathing, thinking, bipedal humanoid for at least most of the most of the episode? That just doesn't make sense. Like it should actually make it like this many radical changes at once should make his body dysfunctional. Yeah, I mean, his head is pulsing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, it's a very Talosian slash yeah. Young Spock effect. I, I buy his emotional response to it. Yeah. You know, like he's in a bad place. Yeah. And I like it when they show terminally ill or sick characters who are just jerks. Because actually, that's real. That really happens, you know. That, you know, people aren't just noble and heroic when they're told that they're going to die in, you know, six days or whatever, right? A lot of times they're pissed off. They're angry. And, of course, you know, he's not viewing things uh, completely clearly, cognitively. I'm sure his brain is messed up. So, you know, 
I, Robert Duncan McNeil has been quoted as saying he had no clue what was going on uh, when he read the script, you know, and he had, he was really surprised that they filmed it as written. Uh, but he did the best he could with the material. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I believe his fear and his anger and his confusion and all of that. Well, and I like Mulgrew's performance here. Yeah. yeah we, we've talked about this before. She's definitely the most overtly emotionally aware of the um, group of Starfleet captains we've seen. And that's not to say... You know, that she's just but she never a, goes too far with it. You know? Right. It, 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 she walks the line differently, but in a dramatically interesting way. Because I, you know, I think Picard would be, you know, overtly sympathetic, and he's, you know, done that for sick crewmen before. Um, Janeway just has a really interesting pitch because it, 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 that's just how they've written the character. She's more aware. Here goes Tom's tongue. Okay. Th- this also bothered me. They got the tongue wrong. That would be his tongue if he, like, just bit off his own tongue. If it actually dislodged the muscle, it looks different. I'm not sa- – yeah. I'm just saying – Oh, yeah, yeah. There's I, like, I know where you're coming there's from. There's, like, an anchor bit of the muscle that goes in the jaw that yeah, if you really want – Yeah, it's a very to, large muscle. Yeah, so I'm just saying go to the store, buy a cow tongue, just, you know, do your homework. <laughs> So I've noticed. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm sitting here silently trying to mime what it would be like to speak without using my tongue, and I think <laughs> he's still he's still making far too articulated a. Con- I mean, I'm not suggesting well, they I, really remove I his tongue. I think maybe he's supposed to have evolved a new kind of tongue. Uh, maybe a lizard tongue. I don't know. I can see his tongue. <laughs> yeah, we can see it. But he's doing an okay job acting. Yeah, yeah he's trying. He's trying. Why is he so keen on getting off of Voyager? I mean, this kind of reminds me of uh, Identity uh, Crisis. Yeah, Identity Crisis. Uh, not, not another episode that was not great. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, is what the hell is going on here? <laughs> is his perception of time? becoming more or is he just deluded i I would like to be told that yeah because he's he's not saying like really interesting insightful things you know it's not like barkley in the nth degree oh that's the there's the hook if you were simultaneous like like what if his brain did the same thing the shuttle's computer did he was just simultaneously aware of so much that it almost broke him and that and they had to like delete his memory of doing it to like prevent him from being driven mad by it that's a good episode that that's science fiction and medical ethics and that that's a good story and maybe everybody chooses not to do it because right. they don't uh, right i don't know yeah i could see so they're gonna place mr paris and infuse him with anti-proton bursts this also is just it's it's the worst technobabble of science fiction because the antiprotons should interact with the matter in his body and then explode. Like matter and antimatter annihilate each other on contact. That is that is a thing. And well, yeah, I mean protons aren't very big, and so 
you know, I, I think it's feasible. It, it would cause some damage, but it might, might not. I mean, like bananas emit antimatter. Did you know that, Kevin? I I think I'd heard that. I think I assumed it was one of those, like, uh, the this is the most inspirational decay. story you'll ever read, and then you click it and it's really not. I just No, that's true. The potassium decays and, you know, so anyhow, it, it's possible for antimatter to, to exist. It's just a question of how much and, you know, in what sort of environment. Um, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go build an engine out of bananas. Yeah. Well, there is a Mythbusters episode with bananas, but they don't use it for antimatter. This is a really good makeup job, i got to say. And it's I, I kind of want... Oh, go ahead. Well, I wonder if it's actually Robert Duncan McNeil in there. Like, yeah. Do they really have to put him in there at this point? <laughs> we can pay a non-union actor uh, way less to just be in the makeup. The um, Normally, the bio bed is a really neat prop, but there's something with him being like jerking it around. It just makes it look kind of cardboard. It looks cheap. I, yeah, I agree. This camera doesn't have a drama circuit. No. Well, well the it's drama more, more dramatic that it can't follow. The right. Action. That's that's the point. Now we'll have them. Oh, see, I was trying to think: are they going to do the phaser cutout or the, um, you know, monster coming briefly Cloverfield style into view? Well, so, you know, what's kind of lame about this whole section of the plot is that they're trying to fix him, and it's not working, and it's like kind of feels like they're going into a monster episode yeah. sort of direction, which is sort of pointless because they really should be spending this time trying to explain things, yeah, not trying to scare us. And still analyzing the data from the ship. But... Yeah, yeah. Don't go in there. <laughs> You're not going to like what happens. She got knocked unconscious really easily. Just throwing that yeah, out. Yeah, I don't know if that was part of his lizard powers or what. I couldn't help but think of Genesis when I watched this episode, and Genesis was way more effective at these bits. Yeah. Well, so it's clear that Braga <laughs> has some ideas about evolution, you know, and he wants to tell some sci-fi stories within those... Uh, and this I didn't get at all. Why does he want to take Janeway to Warp 10 as well? Like... That seems far too articulated a instinctive desire for this bizarre... Like, it just doesn't make any sense at all. He's always had a thing for Janeway. Like, he's I, acting... I, and this is one of our other, she's like... She's taking Bellana. Yeah, the well, least... They're not really a thing yet. The least of... One of the least of my favorite of Star Trek tropes is the ability for anyone. And I mean literally anyone. Like, down to the high school student in uh, Coming of Age to steal a shuttlecraft. Well, I mean, Tom Paris is the pilot on the ship, and he probably has clearance codes and stuff, but sure. Warning, nearing maximum warp velocity. This bothered me a little bit because I distinctly recall discussions in other i think in deep space nine it was the um terrible second sight the uh prometheus's maximum warp was 9.975 and i think they mentioned voyagers being the same in caretaker and at 9.97 they were at imminent structural collapse then then that means your maximum speed is not 9.975 just to throw that out there 
So here's our visualization of the transwarp effect. It's somewhat reminiscent of where no one has gone before. Yeah. That sort of lighting effect was kind of cheap looking. It was. So they located the shuttle within three days. It dropped out of transwarp somewhere else, but not somewhere else in the universe. Right. That was lucky. Yeah. Oh, God, I can't even stop. Don't say the line, Doctor. Ah, damn it, Doctor, you said the yeah, line. Yeah, the changes in his DNA are consistent with the evolutionary... Uh, the loss of vestigial organs. Yep, I mean, if we if we could have tried explaining it away before, now we can't. Right, like, like they seem to think that there is a... This is the direction it would have gone in had it taken another four million years. Right, like... There is not a pre-programmed course of evolution in my DNA. That is just not how evolution yeah. works. If you take Kevin to Mars and Kelly to Venus and me to Jupiter, and we, you know, somehow mate with the offspring. natives, yeah, you know, our evolution would all go in a different direction because it's a response to the environment. It's not some sort of teleology within the essence of human. Right. Of all the children I sired on Mars, some would be better suited to the Martian environment than others, and they would be the ones to reproduce. And they would necessarily have different qualities than the Jovian children or the Venusian children the two of you were cranking out. So... I also, hope prior to up... Doctor saying that, you could say that it's somehow in response to something... Yeah, it's in, in the transwarp space, energy. yeah. So now we're in a very sort of Star Trek three. Yeah. Kind of feel yeah. with microbes. <laughs> at, at, also, so, like, uh, okay, couple of other problems here. And <laughs> just we, a couple. Just a couple. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to be surgical and pick out the biggest ones. And we talked about this oddly enough in Genesis. If William Riker devolves into an ape and his brain is physically smaller. When you regrow his brain to its original size, some of the information should be lost. If you run, if if I physically damage my my computer, even if I undamage the computer, the data the computer used to store is probably gone. Did I, they really need to stun them? It didn't look like they could run away very fast. Move, frankly. Um, I'm just saying, there those like golf ball sized brains those lizards must have can't possibly store in the same way the life experiences and data yeah. of the original. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I've detected another problem. With this <laughs> so there's some CGI yeah. or something. That's something. I don't know what that effect is. I don't know how I'm going <laughs> to enter this into the log. I look forward to it. So clearly it. he just doesn't ever. They just whitewash over this whole thing. Well, isn't it, like, the most egregious imaginable violation of the Prime Directive to leave those three lizards on the planet? I've decided to leave them in their new habitat. I've eradicated the mutant DNA from your system <laughs> and restored your original genome. Well, that only took three seconds. It'll take some time for your genetic codes to stabilize. Oh my god. What the hell? <laughs> I, I, I was listening to an interview with Jerry Ryan where she described being shown a Voyager episode prior to being hired by the show, and it was so awful that she flatly refused the job until they begged her to do the second audition, the callback audition, and she had forgotten what one it was. And in my head, 
it's between this and Twisted for what was like the most horrible slash boring episode they could have showed her. I don't remember very much about it. Uh, and, you know, that's a funny line. What makes it think it was your idea? <sighs> but these are the only kids she'll ever have. I mean, <laughs> does she, as a mother, She's feel just nothing? Okay. <laughs> like, I just left him on a planet. Who cares? All right, let me ask Kelly, and this is a question I've never, no one has ever asked before. If you devolved into a lizard and had three lizard children, then re-evolved into a human... Would you feel the same connection to your lizard children that you feel to Theodore? I'm sure it would be a different connection, but I'm also sure I would feel a connection. I'm not disagreeing with nothing. you. I'm just I'm just asking theoretically, but I, I'm there with you. I think both as a like person with emotions and a scientist, I don't think she would have left them behind. Hell, what if you div- what if you like remove the mutant DNA from the from the baby lizards yeah. and turn them into people? That would that kind of what the fuck moment actually would have saved this episode for me if we suddenly had three infants, like humanoid infants, that happen to be the children of Paris St. Janeway on the ship. That kind of gear shift out You'd of You'd have nope. to respect the, the balls in doing that. One of it, it, I, I just uh, start caught up with last week's scandal, and I enjoy the show for that exact reason, that kind of fearless, almost mindless attempt to just have fun with the story and i actually would have appreciated that My, i would have been so flabbergasted by that plot development i would have forgiven everything else that happened yeah yeah i mean it's like they went for a wtf moment and then they just kept going with it instead of hit the galactic reset button which i think it's fair to say has happened here i also have to say there has been absolutely no explanation of why they never used the, the technology again. They haven't decommissioned it. You know, they haven't pointed out the fact that, well, we've fixed the problem now, and so we could just use it and go home. You know, and the doctor could re-evolve us all. And right. the doctor won't de-evolve well, or yeah. evolve or whatever because he's hologram. Oh, this <sighs> this is a little rough. I'm watching I'm watching this on Netflix, and it's doing that thing where it shows you the forthcoming episode. And the next episode is Meld, a much better episode. I almost want to watch it now, <laughs> just to just to get that taste out of my mouth. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, the biggest I, thing I is kind of why feel not... like the last two, like even up to minute like oh, maybe like right before they get to the planet, yeah. you know, like right before the doctor says that line, basically. Like it's sort of bad. It's pretty bad. It, 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 you know, it's at a at a heightened level of bad or a diminished level of bad, however you want to cast that. But then once they get to the planet and it just completely collapses, you know, it's like a singularity. You know, it no, it's like it can't bear no the weight plot of its can own escape stupidity. its surface. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> like no good can escape now. <laughs> Too late. It, it there's no coming back from this. Um, man, holy crap. <laughs> so yeah it's like it defies evaluation it's like <laughs> how, how can you put the good first 20 minutes into the context of like the it's inex- actually sort of an asymptotic curve just like you know transward <laughs> velocity 
uh, you know, it's like it starts off good, and then it sort of reaches the asymptote, and then it like spikes wildly into into bad. Well, I mean, I guess one way of thinking about it is, what kind of episode is it if you didn't understand evolution very well? You know, if you had just sort of this layperson, yeah. Now, granted, you're probably unlikely to be the person watching Star Trek in the first place, but let's say you didn't really understand what was wrong with what the doctor said yeah. and what was wrong with what happened to them. Then what kind of episode I is I think it? your obvious problem should be the inherent kind of ridiculousness of the mating lizard captain slash helmsman leaving their... Ch- you know, it's like, it's so, like, on its face kind of stupid... Yeah. That unless they do a lot of work to undergird it and make it make sense, it just leaves you with this, you know, irreducibly stupid feeling in, in your mind watching it. And then yeah. I, I, I hope it's obvious to anyone that the show should be over now. You know, it's like they found their way home and they fixed the one problem that was the issue. Right, even if you would never use this as a means of... Like, this could be the equivalent of subspace transporters. They exist, they work, but the side effects are so awful that there's a reason not to make them the mainline form of transit. Well, and so, if you don't want to destroy the Paris character, which I would not, you know, it's like, I, I if I were Jerry Taylor or Michael Piller or, you know, any, my, Rick Berman, I would say, no, we've invested a lot of groundwork and we've got a good actor and we don't want to destroy the character. So fix it some other way, you know, and the various methods that we all described in the past hour would be perfectly acceptable means of fixing it. I just feel like Braga sometimes goes for it and sort of doesn't care, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, As much as I love many of the Brandon Braga episodes, on Voyager, because he has some great ones, and as much as I love Battlestar Galactica in its, you know, the first two and a half seasons as and for themselves, I really think the two of them did their best work together. Yeah, I think Ron Moore reigns in, you know, some of Brandon Braga's goofier tendencies, and maybe the other way around, I mean, because we, what we eventually saw out of Ron D. Moore in season four... Um, yeah, sometimes you get the feeling that maybe Ron Moore isn't the best pure sci-fi writer and he's a better like political writer and that Brandon Braga has lots of wacky sci-fi ideas, but Ron Moore is somewhat of a realist. And when either of them try to do the other, it doesn't quite work. I don't know. Anyhow, so yeah, I, I like the question Kelly asked, how would... How would someone who doesn't care <laughs> respond? Um, How would a you know Star Trek new Star Trek fan <laughs> react yeah, to it? I would like to meet the four people on Earth that are watching Star Trek, but also have a willful disregard for the definition <laughs> of evolution. That would be a fun dinner party. Um, well, heck, Kevin, I think the the restaurant trip we went after watching Into Darkness (laughs) qualifies as that. Some of the people at that table whom I have very good reason to believe are intelligent people otherwise. Yeah. uh, That was a very aggravating discussion I have to say. It's like you just don't understand why this is so bad. 
Um, like I liked it when he screamed Khan. No. Yeah, I thought it was funny. It you're, was like, you know, you're wrong. Um, it was like a quadruple face palm across the table. There was a ripple of face palm. <laughs> okay, setting aside the problem with fundamentally not understanding evolution. How does this episode fare? The the fact that this seems to be an easily fixable problem and an easily replicable solution that would, in fact, get them home tomorrow does seem well, to break – it does seem to be the problem. Yeah, well, I think your point also, Kevin, about just substantially increasing your speed is well taken. And so there, there was a lot of careless uh, stuff yeah. left out. A lot of this could be fixed in dialogue. Not the lizards, but a lot of the other things could be fixed in dialogue, and wasn't. You know, um, there was no explanation of. You know, at least when they do this later, with the uh, what's the name of the episode? Uh, time, time something. Um, I'm blanking on it right at this second. The one where they're frozen in ice and. Timeless. Timeless. You know, in timeless, when they talk about the the new kind of warp drive or whatever. They say at the end of the episode, well, it's not working. we got to take it offline. You know, really, in some ways, it's a very similar plot structure. Yeah, yeah. Like, new technology, maybe we can get it home, but there's a huge problem, you yeah. know. And so they acknowledge the huge problem, and they say it's intractable, and then they say they can't do it again. It's like, you got to do that. Yeah. you got to spend two minutes of your episode doing that. Otherwise, it's just like... A bunch of random shit that happens that we're supposed to forget next week. Yeah, even, even exactly that not wasn't perfect was because it seemed that you could do it. Why not just do it in like 60 second bursts all the way yeah. over? Like, yeah, you couldn't make home in one trip, but it seemed that everything worked fine for 60 seconds at a time. Just 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 make a bunch of trips. But but that was a that was a, time, a relatively small problem. And, and you're right. Flagging it as we can't the the risks are too high, even for the benefit of being home right away. Um, on the plus side, <laughs> the first 20 minutes are quite good. We have a really good character arc and some very nice scenes between Paris and Janeway. Uh, the, I liked the camaraderie between, uh, you know, Harry, Tom, and Bolana. You know, the, like, the, the feel of scenes of them trying to solve an engineering problem. It's very kind of science-y and... Yeah, it, it felt, yeah. You feel like they're intelligent people and they're working hard on something that's difficult. And, like, it's fun to have things be about that. Yeah, in totally. A TV show, you know, as opposed to who's screwing whom and, you know, who's lying to whoever. You know, it's like, it's nice to see plots that revolve around things like that. The middle third, you know, the monster movie stuff, to me, feels totally weird you know, compared to most Star Trek. It does happen. It has happened. It's happened in more Braga episodes than one. <laughs> um, and it's not all bad. And so some of those notes were okay. You know, I like Tom being pissed off and angry and just kind of unpleasant to be around. But it, it's not as good. So it's like it starts off great. It turns into kind of a, eh, I don't know about this. And then, yeah, the last five minutes or so, are just reprehensible. Yeah, from a writing standpoint. So I don't know. What do it's 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 like they painted themselves into a corner, and 
then decided the solution was, fuck it, let's walk on some wet paint. Like, <laughs> just, it's not good. It's not close to good. Uh, I mean, from, I mean, do, we haven't even gotten to, like, structurally analyzing this episode like we normally do yet, because it's almost incomprehensible. Um, does the second two, does the back two thirds negate the interesting setup of the first third enough to make this like the basement of writing? I'm going to say it does. It's still more entertaining than a... It's better than Move Along Home. Move Along Home or The Thaw. Ooh, is The Thaw this season or is The Thaw next season? The Thaw is this season. Oh my god. So this season had both Threshold and The Thaw. I will rewatch Threshold. I don't want to rewatch The Thaw or Move <laughs> Along Home ever, ever. I get that. I do. I mean, yes. No one said Shap. No one said Alamorain. Yeah. Alamorain. Oh my God! Wouldn't that have been great if they if they had found a way to loop those two together? Maybe if Threshold Space were full of awful black stereotypes, they really could have just knitted together all of the terrible episodes of the franchise at once. Well, so, like, this isn't so bad, it's good. It, you know, that like, it is not. Code, code of Honor, there's almost a perverse enjoyability. And the same with something like Angel One. You know, this isn't so bad, it's good. The bad parts are really, really bad. The good parts are quite good. And it's not even a good drinking game episode, because the, there's no consistency to the badness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to drink this every time. This is more of a train wreck. It's like... You know, oh, the train r- train ride was going along so well, and you know, people were happy. It's like a disaster movie, you know. Yeah. And in any disaster movie, in the first, you know, third or whatever, you have to in- you have to like indicate how well things are going, because otherwise it wouldn't be so horrifying when things actually do go awry. So in some ways, this is sort of like meta fiction, you know. <laughs> it, it's it's like a commentary on storytelling. I don't think that's what Braga was going for. Yeah. Um, acting, I think Robert Duncan McNeil is unimpeachable. Yeah. I think, uh, Kate Mulgrew is, and really, if you're going to point to anybody, it might be, uh, Raphael Sparge as Michael Jonas. You didn't seem to like it, Kevin. Well, I it was just was shoehorned. It was just, it was kind of bizarre. It was like, what are we, what, 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 what? And then, yeah. and all, it was like unfollowed up in, in the episode. Like, yeah. hey, even that would have been an acceptable solution. Like, the Kazon attacked, and we're about to steal the technology that would make them the unquestioned masters of the universe, and Janeway destroyed it rather than let it fall into their hands. I could have lived with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to establish that it's just this dilithium that allows you to do it or something. Yeah, sure. Or she could have let him have it, and they turned into lizards, and then we'd never have to have <laughs> another Kazon episode again. You know, either way. Well, that that would, that would be a win-win. Um, production values. It won an Emmy. You know, I mean, we may not have liked the direction that the creature effects were going in, but I thought they were the well adult done. lizard, the adult lizards, looked like the whale models from Star Trek Four, just not in water. It was they were just kind of limply sitting there. It makes the phasering really out of nowhere. And I thought the babies looked too CGI. Yeah, there was something off. The, the whole staging of that scene, it was it was like clear it was on planet hell and they just like filled a like a kiddie pool 
is yeah. some sort of black watery goo. Well, it's weird because it's a bottle show until that moment. Until minute 43 or whatever, it's a bottle show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really had only one or two optical effects with the transwarp thing. And those yeah, weren't the, the shot good. of Janeway going into transwarp wasn't the best. Though yeah. I did like the um, the shot of the shuttle leaving and both jumping to warp was really well yeah, achieved. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so I, I would say it's probably average. Evens out yeah. overall. <sighs> so here's the question. Does the does the first two thirds the first thirds entertainment philosophical food for thought value balance out the train wreck that is the balance of the episode? And I I have been thinking about it while we've been talking about it. I thought about it before we sat down. This is a one for me because if nothing else, for Star Trek is allowed to take shortcuts with science is is allowed to you know. Yeah, it's a Heisenberg compensator. Compensates for the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, which would make transporters impossible. Fine, you've tagged it. You've sh you've demonstrated both a, a nifty idea and the understanding of this underlying science. This is the show that made a Dyson sphere part of the drama, and we were delighted when they did that to have to have such a almost forcefully ignorant under understanding of the basics of evolution bothers me so much that almost alone that makes a one for me the rest of it is just it, the science in the science fiction was so bad for a episode driven by the science fiction setup that i i think this is a one hmm. see since i'm not constrained by your same uh, point system i'm gonna go with a one and a half I get okay. that. If I gave because it's it's not the bottom. It's not. I mean, it's the bottom in a certain way, but <laughs> but it's still ever so slightly more enjoyable, even as a whole episode, than some of the really really bad stuff. So for me, it's a one and a half. If forced, I'd probably go with the one. Yeah, you know, I... <laughs> it's a it can be a high one, but I think it's still a one. As your as your memory kind of cools, and months pass, you start to think to yourself like, yeah, maybe this is a two. Like, maybe they maybe this has some redeeming qualities, and you know. And I I was there until I watched it tonight. And I think you're absolutely right, Kevin. It's uh, look. We've watched the Abrams movies, you know, and there there have been people who have criticized our vehement reactions to them, and they've said, are, are they really all that bad? And I think what we have hung our hats on is that, no, in fact, they aren't all that bad. There were some very good qualities to them, but something about them was so bad that it completely negated those good qualities. Uh, and I think I ha I'm forced to agree with you that that happens here and it's really it's really in the last three or four minutes that this goes from being a two to a one yeah it just they, they could have salvaged something i think the, the right wrap-up speech might even get this back into a three because then we'd be going uh you know the paris evolution stuff was really stupid but in the balance this is a good episode like there's a neat idea and the wrap-up is okay no the wrap-up was not okay yeah i think that 
the initial part of the episode was in a four, four territory. Yeah. Um, you know, and the monster stuff was maybe in two territory. Uh, but yeah, then it just, yeah. It, then they just committed. It, it to dove the below thing. the bottom of the scale, yeah. Uh, it, it breached the, th- the threshold of our rating system in the last three or four minutes. Like, it became a different show. It became something that was not Star Trek, you know. And that's that was our criticism of the Abrams movies. So, is the, this as bad as the Abrams movies? I was about no. to say, I, yeah. There's there's an internal attempt at something, and a care for. I mean, uh, this this doesn't feel cynical. And Brandon Braga has himself tagged this as a failure on his part. Yeah, he knows it sucks. You know, it's like the Abrams people and all the people who like the Abrams movies are in some sort of bizarro la la land where they think. Oh yeah, this was really great. We did a great job, you know. And something is so galling about that that it makes it worse. Um, you know, it's like Robert Duncan McNeil knew that something was wrong here. Brandon Braga has more than admitted he he's been effusive in his apologies to Trek fandom for this episode. Um, you know. But even just taken as an episode, you know, to, There, there was no portion of the Abrams movies that was consistently good for, like, 20 minutes. You know, everything was always sabotaged by something, you know. This was consistently good for 20 minutes. Uh, so it's, it's still a one because I think it went to places that an episode of Star Trek should never go. Um, I really wanted but, to be in the writer's room when someone just said out loud, and then the Lizard Captain has babies with Lizard Paris. I want, and they leave them on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I really wanna. I want to be in the room. Like, was Jerry Taylor sick that day? Was she just? Wh- what, what the hell was Rick Berman doing with himself? Yeah, he's wh- the guy that's supposed to rein this shit in. Right. Wh- wh- I I have this image of like. He says no. Like Michael You've Pillar. Seen that in all the documentaries. Yeah, Michael Pillar, Rick Berman, and Jerry Taylor. Must have been like stuck on the 405 in the world's worst traffic right before cell phones became common while Brandon Braga was in a room by himself yeah, writing like, this down. I guess I'm in charge now, you know? <laughs> so, this, is, this is the thing I always think about at conventions. I, I always get annoyed when people ask the actors story questions because it's like the actors don't know the show as well as you do. I know. Re- no actor is going to watch their own show 50 times the way we have. These are questions for the writers. I would love a convention of just the writers to like get Brandon Braga and Ron Moore and Michael Piller in a room for two hours when I'm allowed to ask anything I want. That would make me happy because number one with the bullet for Braga would be this episode. Well, why don't we try to interview Braga? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I would. I would absolutely. And, don't, and if Brandon Braga is somehow listening to this, don't worry. We will also heap tons of praise on you for other episodes because it's not—it's not like we don't like Brandon Braga that he doesn't. This do... guy wrote Cause and Effect. You know? Yeah, it's like there you go. You know, as I'm sitting here and thinking about it again, I think, and this is probably because I'm a mother and because I'm pregnant, but the thing that really sticks with me is that it wasn't even Janeway 
or Paris who got to make this decision about keeping the babies on the planet. Yeah. It was Chakotay. Chakotay just... Who somehow decided what to do with their children. And they never questioned it. No, yeah, like... I'm telling you, if there's if if the if the coda to that episode were and meet your three infant children, they could have just shown that they died. I mean, for Christ's sake, it's yeah. like they just weren't viable, you know. Well, and then you could have had a really touching scene with Janeway knowing these are the only kids she's ever gonna have, and she lost them, and you know, like. Well, she'd just get home, get in the shuttle, do trans warp, and then <laughs> hook up with Mark, you know. <laughs> Uh, you I know what? The, like, like I was just there's a really missed opportunity here with Janeway as mother. I think there was a missed opportunity for all kinds of moments. Like I, I was just like, we do this a lot here, especially with the podcast episodes where we end up just like rewriting the episode for them. And the, <laughs> the idea I was thinking about earlier, uh, we were talking about something else was, you know, uh, Paris seemed to just show up somewhere when he was like, like they were looking for him. What if he showed up on earth? Like he got, like he got back in the shuttle by himself and he tells everyone, you know, Voyager's alive and well and on their way home. And he has to decide, does he stay now? Does he have an obligation to go back and tell them what's happened? Like, you're, you're, like that, that could have been a fun episode. Maybe there's just no way to adapt the technology to a large ship and only one person can go at a time. And then the ship breaks, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. Fuck. There, there's any, there's a thousand ways you could fix a yeah, story. Yeah, because like. you know it's not that we won't nitpick a too neat solution. Lord knows we will. We have, I believe, about a hundred hours of recorded material indicating we will nitpick the fuck out of it. But we'll still appreciate. Like, I'll let stuff go. I'm not such a curmudgeon that I can't enjoy a well-told story because not every possible question has not been answered. But you got to give me more than lizard babies you have to you have to get the ball well, you just have to try <laughs> you have to try to solve the obvious problem that your plot creates and this episode just completely ignored it you know there's a novel in there somewhere what happened to the lizard babies oh, i don't know if, <laughs> if you could write a good novel that sounds like one of those novels where someone writes a bunch of like betazoid stuff it's like you know I'm sure that seemed like a good idea to you in your imagination, but I don't. I really don't want to know. I don't want to know what their life is like. I don't want to know what they experience. It just no, not as lizards. Oh. Like somebody finds them. Oh, and then reverts them to humans or something. Q decides that this would be a fun thing to, to deal with, or you know, whatever. <laughs> there would have been a scene that might have <laughs> retroactively turned this into a two. If when Q is messing with Janeway, he snaps his fingers and he's like, hey, here's your kids, you know? (laughs) (sighs) All right, well, on that note, I need to go to bed. So (laughs) you guys are welcome to stay up all night discussing this. (laughs) No, I I think we've done. Yeah, we've we've exhausted it. Oh, I think there's more to be said, but I don't think we're (laughs) capable of saying it right now. We'll, We'll try to put it in the written review. So that's a two. That, that's a two. Yep. It's, uh, it's down there with the worst of them. Um, and in, in some ways, this two is more... Uh, it cuts further to the quick, you know? <laughs> the ways in which it is a two feel worse than some other two episodes. Uh, maybe not as bad as Code of Honor, because, I mean, that that's really... Oof. Um, 
I mean, Kevin, do you just want to opine on if we're going to take Code of Honor, uh, Move Along Home, uh, Threshold, and which TOS episode do you want to pick as the You know, I'm, the I'm pulling up, I, I am pulling up now the, uh, um, our rating sheets for TOS and all that, and, um. I believe the Apple, Cat's Paw. Ooh, uh, Cat's Paw. No, I think we, didn't we end up giving like a three to the Apple? No, there's no way. <laughs> no, didn't you end up liking it more because the actors were like surprisingly earnest or something? I <laughs> <laughs> I could, I, look, I mean, I don't remember a lot of things because I'm so tired now, but I, there's no way I gave the Apple a two. Did I give the Apple a two? It's possible. I, I, I do crazy things sometimes, things I'm not in control of. Um, was the Apple season two? Uh, I think so. No, the Apple sorry, Internet. Oh, I'm thinking of Way to Eden. I'm sorry. That That's what I was thinking. I think we gave that a three. But the Apple... Yeah, there, there, there were some redeeming qualities in the Way to Eden. Oof. So anyway... Yeah. Uh, where where would you place this in the pantheon of awful? Better than Code of Honor, worse than Move Along Home, because Move Along Home was just excruciatingly boring. Um, Code of Honor has certain sort of like Schadenfreude redeeming qualities, where it's like this is so awful and so excruciating, <laughs> and the children shall lead. That's what I'm calling the worst TOS episode. This is mm. comparably awful because of what they do at the end to end the children shall lead. Because it's so stupid. It's so uh, stupid. Nah. I, I dislike and the children shall lead quite a bit, but it it's not there with... Um... Gosh. Spock's brain is... Great. Compared we to gave the... Spock's brain a four because yeah. it was like oddly charming. Well, and it had a pretty good sci-fi, uh, yeah. you know, very sixties sci-fi, but a very good sci-fi story. Um, you know, TOS never really went into hysterically, you know, just like brain-crushingly awful territory. It was just either like stupid or silly, you know. Um, and, and it was never horrifyingly offensive. Yeah. Code of Honor remains the worst for me because it so egregiously violates almost the entire point of Star Trek. Yeah. It's like humanity is better at some point. And granted, the characters aren't awful. It's the episode that's awful. And so it, it's like you hate it because of what the creators did, not because of any lasting damage to the characters. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what, so, I mean, here you go, you know, what's worse, Abrams movies or Code of Honor. And I feel like the Abrams movies are still worse than Code of Honor because they fundamentally ruin things going forward. Like you can't fix it. You know, you can just kind of ignore Code of Honor, but it, it didn't even ruin the characters. It didn't, you know, it's like, 
none of them made blatantly racist, you know, statements or, you know, it didn't assassinate anything. It, it only assassinated like the director and maybe the screenwriter. Um, so to me, Threshold is better better than Code of Honor, but worse than Move Along Home. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, wait, wait, no, other way around. <laughs> better than Move Along Home, but worse than Code of Honor. Because Code of Honor, it, it didn't break the universe. Okay. It just, it just broke the viewer. <laughs> <laughs> Move Along Home, it didn't break the universe, to be fair. But it was, it was just so crushingly awful from minute one through minute 45 that it's much worse to watch um this this makes me you know like want to tear my hair out by the end but if i just stop it at around minute 20 <laughs> i feel like, like you could do a you could do a voyager watch through and just watch the first 20 minutes and be like and now we're moving on to the next episode i feel like there should There's, be like some kind of creative writing class where we give the students the bad episodes to fix. I think this yeah. would be an ideal candidate. Like, stop at minute 17, now finish the episode however you see fit. I think that would be that'd be a perfectly Absolutely. valid thing to do. Okay, well, so it's certainly Voyager's worst so far. Because um, Twisted was just boring. Yeah, and, did, point, and we gave, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Twist, Twisted was boring. I, I gave it a two out of almost apathy because it didn't enrage me enough to give it a one but yeah this is definitely worse than twisted even if i had ultimately given twisted a one um is this as low as voyager is gonna go i think probably yes but, uh, how quickly we forget the fantasy boxing episode oh that's not that bad i mean oh, it's I bad hated that one and then ron moore I don't know if Ron Moore was responsible for the Chakotay fantasy boxing episode, but if he was, it makes the stupid boxing episode of Battlestar even worse. Yeah, so you did you're it supposed before. to learn. Like, I think odds. I think, I think this is as bad as Voyager's going to go. Yeah. Um, the Thaw has problems, <laughs> but it, it doesn't have the kind of problems that the last three minutes of this had. Um, I'm reserving judgment because the Thaw was really bad. Yeah. On the plus side, most of these really bad episodes are going to be completely out of the way by the end of season two. Uh, it's really pretty much all uphill from here. I, I'm just. I can't. Doing, yeah, I'm just doing a quick scan of other stuff to see if anything jumps out at me as crazy bad. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of anything that's, uh, you know. Yeah, false prophets isn't great, but Neelix, uh, Ethan Phillips as a Ferengi was pretty fun. Um, well, I I have to appreciate that just for the continuity pickup. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, actually, I think I like that episode. I haven't watched it long enough, so I'm not gonna prejudge it. But yeah, I get that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, the the one where Harry Kim's like captain of a ship in season seven was kind of boring for me, but not certainly not bad. I didn't like oh, any that, of the. What what was the 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 villains from Captain Planet when you turn them into a Star Trek race? What were they called? The oh the, the Malon Malon. I was gonna say Mazons. I'm like I'm think I think that's a particle. 
Yeah, the Ma- the, the Malons. The, none of their episodes really set me on fire. Um, eleven fifty nine seems to divide Star Trek fandom. P- I know people who love that episode as much as people love pancakes, and then I know people who hate that episode who think it was like a waste of their lives and i haven't watched it long enough to really have an opinion but i've never met someone with a neutral opinion on that episode actually i'm kind of neutral on it like i see what they were going for it's not great but you know it's it's a passable way to spend 45 minutes um i understand why it divides people because it's such a tonal break yeah um and I'm sure that those are the same people who either love or hate something like Far Beyond the Stars or, you know, a- any of those weird Deep Space Nine episodes, right? Yeah. You know, I'll say this. Um, the episode when Neelik, when they discover the Talaxian colony where a Talaxian colony has no business being and anomalously removed Neelix from the ship two episodes before the finale, that's the closest Voyager will come to such bad storytelling that I am as angry. Yeah, you know, as an episode though, it's not all that bad. Yeah, um, I I agree in the in the meta sense that it, it's really disappointing. Um, you know, I'm not I don't love the episode where Kes gets all dark. Oh, uh, I hate it. oh, I didn't like that one either. Oof. But it's 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 nowhere near this bad. No, certainly um, not. certainly not. You know, there are some people who really hate the shoot. I love the shoot. I haven't watched it in forever, and I will say I don't have the. It's not that I dislike Paris, but I, I think, I like Major Kira. Like, I, and I've said this before. You know, Kira is one of my favorite characters. Paris is one of yours, and I'm not saying that invalidates our respective opinions on episodes that focus on them. But for obvious reasons, when the episode centers around my favorite character, oh, colors our opinion. Sure, colors our opinion. I'm. I might be shoot neutral. I might. I'll be on giggling at the, kind of. Prison He's mine. Lines. Yeah, no one touches him. I'm like, ah, this is like watching Oz, another show I got into in the late 90s. Uh, favorite son is... Oh, bad. there we go. That's the one I was trying to think of. That <laughs> one is... All... And another one that just, like, misunderstands DNA and evolution and everything. Yeah. <laughs> favorite son has some issues. But again, I don't think it's this bad. So, all right. At the end of the day, I think it's fair to say that this is probably going to sit at the bottom of the, the the pile for Voyager episodes, although I don't think it's the worst single episode of Star Trek ever. What did you think um, of the, the like, UFC episode, like the mixed martial arts episode with the rock? Tsunkatsu? I like it. Really? Ugh. Yeah, I gotta I found, say I kind of like it. I found the stunt casting egregious. I did not like the stunt casting, I agree with that, but he didn't have a major role to play and he didn't have to deliver a bunch of dialogue. He played a wrestler, basically. Um, and the, the actual story that revolved around it, you know, it's like people being abducted to entertain others was a pretty viable story. Yeah. yeah okay. And we've done that in Star Trek before. Okay. And Jerry Ryan acted the heck out of it. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I like JG Hertzler. He's one of those actors that I would watch read the phone book. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So rather than retro- inadvertently do the rest of Trek no Babble, in this podcast because we're trying to find something worse than threshold. I think we should wrap it up here. And, uh, can, can we, No, I think we need to just simultaneously experience all of star Trek at once <laughs> after having watched this episode. 
it's, it's it all comes to mind. No, I agree. We should end the podcast. It's gone on for an hour and a half now. I think that's enough. Um, <laughs> I was so too. I always appreciate when we like double the length of the thing we're watching, talking about it. I feel like we really achieved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we achieved something. That's for sure. Of all the podcasts we've done, this is most certainly one of them. I like that joke. That's a fun joke. Okay. All right. Have a good night, everyone. And try not to turn into lizards. And if you do, try not to make lizard babies with your coworkers. That's that's yes. some practical advice um, straight from us. <laughs> Wear protection. Wrap the lizard, okay? All right. Good, good night. night. <laughs>